Cinema Meltdown with Jared Peterson and Brian Matthew Ward. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Cinema Meltdown. There you go. <laughs> I'm Brian Matthew Ward and uh, with me as always is Jared Peterson. And today we're doing a second attempt at an episode <laughs> with uh, Chelsea Lesage and Charles D. Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Hi hey. guys, we're here. Hey everyone, <laughs> we're here again, take two. Yeah, so like uh, last time we recorded an entire awesome episode on Wild at Heart only for none of their audio to get recorded. So it just seems like we're talking to ourselves. You see their lips moving, but that's about it. I feel like you should like, like after your whole season is complete of this, or some of a meltdown, you should release that, just your audio of Wild at <laughs> down for it. We're going to sound insane. It could be something that is obviously like a Lynch thing where they it has yeah. to be cut down, where this is like a deleted scene yeah. or a deleted episode. And you just have the the, or the visual of us moving our mouths with no audio coming out And then out you whatsoever. could just dub it. Yeah. Watch, watching the, uh, that, the video, it just looks like, like I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like we could, you can just dub Chelsea and I saying in heaven everything is fine over and over again. Every, <laughs> answer to every question. Well, actually, we could send you the video and you guys could dub it with what you think you were saying. That, that <laughs> Let's have a, a completely nothing like what was actually said. Just like make up some random stuff. It's all like it's all like acting exercises, yes, like yes. that have been around since probably when they were doing Wild at Heart. So we're like peas and carrots, peas and carrots, yes. peas and carrots. <laughs> yes. Um. So I, I guess uh, anything that you're wanting to plug, let's go ahead and do the plugging. Let's get it out of the no, way. Let's get that right out of the way. Right it right now. We have our Indiegogo campaign for our next film, Nowhere Fast. Um. You can find that at uh, https at uh, igg.me slash nowhere fast um it's the campaign for our next film it's kind of this like punk rock apocalypse film where it's about an all-girl female band from new york city that um the first night of their first tour the world kind of ends so you know things uh go really downhill from there um and yeah no it's just so what charles and i pride ourselves on doing is like reinventing certain genres of horror films. And we did it with Teresa and Allison where Charles just rewrote everything that you thought that you knew about vampires and brought it back to, back to what it actually was. So now we're like talking about an apocalyptic thing and there are certain like supernatural elements or things that you're made well aware about that other cultural things have changed your mind about. So we're bringing those certain things back to where we think it should be in this in this film and we need people's help in order to i guess do that yeah it's a weird weird i'm trying to like be like i'm ominous yeah but hopeful yeah it's a weird weird script and um we really would love to be able to afford to be able to get it out there and do some just wild shit for people um you know we're almost done with with uh, bishop's cove Mm-hmm. Um, our, our current feature, uh, we're like four days, uh, from wrapping principal photography and, um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you can go to our, um, uh, I, IGG.me slash AT slash Indiegogo, uh, sorry, start slash nowhere fast for Indiegogo campaign. And then our, um, DVD of Teresa and Allison is available right now at Amazon, Best Barnes Buy, and Noble, yeah, Barnes Target, and Noble, you name it. any place you can get DVDs, you can get that. And, you physical media people. 
Yeah, and then in September, uh, first season of 21st Century Demon Hunter will also be available uh, for DVD and stuff. We'll have a new episode. We'll have commentary. We'll have a making of uh, featurette. It'll be really fun. And uh, the next season will also be soon, but we can't talk about that yet. Secrets. Yes. All right. Oh, did, did I tell you that I actually watched Teresa and Allison since we last... Uh, oh, awesome. What did you think of it? Yeah, I actually really like it, which I'm I'm big into Thank vampire you. stuff, so like like yeah. I love all that. Thank you. It was yeah, it was it was basically the as as I had said last time that I had grown to really dislike what vampire films had become. Me too. And uh, it was kind of my attempt at bringing it back to stuff like Near Dark and <laughs> um, Near Dark and uh, the Hunger and you know while kind of keeping it with like a modern sensibility and stuff. So it's a uh, it's, you know, it's uh, probably as influenced by Martyrs as it is by, like, The Hunger or something like that. But it's a really... And that ter- that ties into Nowhere Fast, where it's the rewriting of vampires, and it'll be the rewriting of a different supernatural creature in Nowhere Fast. Yeah, Where yeah. we've just had enough, and it's time to bring it back home. Yeah, we're going to do some cool some cool shit there. And I'm yeah, but I'm so really glad fun. you liked it. My mother yeah. hated it. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I know you weren't in it. But I know you produced it and you made it and you made it happen. And why did you make me watch? This? <laughs> she was like, I can't. And she just, it was really sweet. Cause I was like, mom, it's think about the lost boys. You love the lost boys. Watch Teresa and Allison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was like, no, no. Oh, she doesn't play like after talking the, the Charles and then watching that character they's playing. It's just funny to me because I'm like, that is totally not like you. <laughs> No, no. Tony is a piece of shit. Tony is based on Tony is based on like my my parents like pot dealers when I was like a kid. Like I remember okay. these people who come over and sell pot to my like mom and dad, and they all had fucking Tonys that like like for example like you know when people talk about like Times Square and how it used to be like you know hookers and 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 pimps and and gang members and all this sort of stuff. Um, my dad would take me to Times Square. He knew all these people. Yeah. And they would all be like, yo, give me some skin, little man. And, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I based Tony on a lot of the people that my dad used to, like, hang out with when I was a little Makes kid. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But thank you oh, for thank enjoying you. it. It was our first baby. Yeah. Um, so are, are we wanting to uh, just do a brief discussion on uh, Wild at Heart before we move into yeah. No, just skip it. We can, we can, we can. <laughs> I feel like with us, nothing is ever brief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to get an hour-long dissertation, <laughs> obviously, obviously the heart, like, you know, but obviously, we're not going to go into the same stuff we did before. But uh, from from my standpoint, it's very Nicolas Cage and supports my theory of him being the greatest actor ever. So, yeah, that's right. all I got to say on it. There's, there's no lie here. <laughs> Uh, yes, it helped. Speaking to you guys more though, more those, more so than seeing the film made me think that he was a great actor. I, I just like he's always just been Nicolas Cage. But hearing how passionate you guys were about your belief in him as the greatest actor, I just was like, okay, I can see. And I countered with Willem Dafoe, and you didn't say no. As the greatest actor of our generation, of that generation. But you actually made me believe in Nicolas Cage for a brief moment. I mean, Bobby Peru is, um, Bobby Peru is just iconic. Oh, and amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
from there. And honestly, everything, but that's the thing. Like, I think Nicolas Cage sometimes takes work that you can tell is just like, you know, his paying off his gambling debts or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but Willem Dafoe, like every single thing he's ever done. Like, I mean, you know, like I saw Spider-Man No Way Home Please, recently. excuse me. I'm going to turn off the air conditioning so it doesn't pick up on your audio. Yeah, like I saw Spider-Man. Hello, Peanut. Hi. I saw <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home. And, you know, he's amazing in that. Like, he's I, amazing. Like, I, I, I watched that and I'm like, oh, my God, why is he not the major villain of the next phase of the, of the MCU? Yeah. And like you know, I actually liked his performance in that more than I did in the original Spider Man that he was in. So Oh definitely, definitely. I agree because we're from below. Definitely. Actually it's funny because I saw I was watching, you know, old footage of the original Spider Man, the real Spider Man movies, and it was like, you know, he, he kinda camped it up a lot in the original yeah. ones. And here he was just this force of nature menace. Yeah. And, you know, and there's just like he he just Willem Dafoe is 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 a friggin' treasure. Like, oh I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, and it's like I, you know, you think in yeah. Wild at Heart, he's got like basically four scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, he, he makes the most of all of them. Every and, single one of them, Bobby Peru, like just, and I love like this set, and like, and you know, when you talk, we read interviews with him, and he talks about how as soon as he got the teeth, he knew who Bobby Peru was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something we had talked about in the episode that will never be is that, um, <laughs> is that, you know, of course he's billed like number three. Yeah. And yeah. I'm watching this movie for the first time <laughs> in my life. And I'm like, where the fuck is Willem Dafoe? Yeah. <laughs> and that was, it's, that was like, my reaction. To Bobby. And, and then, then he shows up and you're like, oh, there he is. Oh like, yeah. On full yeah. Yeah. Jack's eeping to go with people in the seafood store, you know, like just, Everything he says is just creepy and wrong, and it's so iconic. It's a great movie, and it also like contrasts definitely going into Blue Velvet with like Laura Dern's character, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But you oh, see definitely. her growth because I'm seeing these things backward. Mm-hmm. Like I'm seeing Blue Velvet for the first time, but I saw Wild at Heart first, and like seeing where like that came from, and like the trust from like her relationship with David Lynch and all yeah. of that yeah. was really interesting to see it backwards. Yeah, if I recall, I mean, and you guys can correct me on this, but wasn't um, Blue Velvet her first um, feature film role? I don't know. I was looking at it, and I think it was like at least yeah. the first, like you know, major. Major I could swear, yeah, I could swear that she said it was that it was her first feature film role. She had done commercials and smaller stuff before, but that was her first feature role. Um, and her mother, um, Diane Ladd, had not wanted her to become an actress because she knew, you know, kind of the trials and tribulations yeah. of being an actress and stuff. And she kind of was like, "Well, I'm going to do it anyway." And that's kind and of like what it got her mother. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And then they got to kind of work through that in in uh, in, in excuse me in, in Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I um like have, having never never seen any of those two movies until now. Like I've already already liked Laura Dern before, but I'm like getting to where I'm liking her more and more, seeing both of those roles. Mm-hmm. Like because I mean I guess most people have seen those first. Me, I like saw Jurassic Park first. So that's same, same. it was Jurassic Park and now mm-hmm. it's Big Little Lies. Like you know Oh, she's great. oh my god, uh, Big Little Lies. Yeah. Oh. It's an HBO show. It it's, will, it's, it's highly recommended. It's incredible. But yeah, yeah, so I also started with Jurassic Park and I was I was like when the first movie came out, I was like a couple years old and I remember still just like it's one of my first memories actually is like actually seeing glimpses of that. 
Mm-hmm. And how I, and I was just like, good for this actress when like for like landing this dinosaur movie, and I've never heard of her. And then mm-hmm. finding out that she had this whole fucked up, fucking beautiful experience going through like the life of David Lynch and his career as well. I was gonna say, I think she's actually in a new Jurassic Park that's coming out. Oh no, it's, yeah, it's already out. Yeah. Oh, it is really. It's already out, oh, isn't yeah. it? It comes out next week. Okay. All right. So there are places here where it's already out. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm still like three movies behind, but it's okay. I'm really excited. I love all the posters, especially when John Stamos posts anything. I pay the most attention. Not James. Oh my God, Jeffrey Goldblum. Oh, Jeff Goldblum. I literally, I was literally looking at John Stamos all day today for unrelated reasons. But yes, Jeff Goldblum's Instagram when he posts it. Yes, John Stamos is in the new Jurassic Park. Wow, John. Uncle Jesse. <laughs> Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse. As Uncle Jesse. As the T Rex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's totally for you. The T Rex plays guitar. Yeah. yeah, he was on my brain all day today. But no. So Jeff Goldblum, every time he posts something on Instagram, I get like super excited about it because I'm just like, he's such an icon. And mm-hmm. just the fact that he is continuing on this thing that is so, like, I don't know, that kind of defined my childhood and like believing in not supernatural creatures because dinosaurs exist or existed, but, you know, kind of helped me delve into being like vampires, zombies, you know, all this stuff. It's really cool. And Laura Dern, like, turns out had a good, like, 10, 15 year career before. Jurassic Park, and it's awesome to get to see these things as well for the first time. Yeah, and I love that her characters in both of these movies are so drastically different. Like, yeah. it's like polar opposites. Yeah, very much. I think she was still like sixteen or something when she shot this. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, she was a teenager. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she was definitely still a teen when she shot uh, Blue Velvet. Yeah, I mean, good for her. I'm that's the goal. Yeah, I saw like one of those either YouTube videos where they have um, you know, various uh actors being going over their various roles and that's where I, I, I could have sworn that she said this was her first feature role. Okay. Yeah, when she was like sixteen or seventeen. Wild at heart, like just seeing her in that role, I feel like is almost you know what? She's kind of like I'd say like a Nicolas Cage in your guys' eyes, where she can just really do anything and yep. she will wholeheartedly go all in where I can't say that her role in Blue Velvet reminds me of her role later in her life oh, no, versus Wild like nothing you can't compare yeah either of these films. See now I feel I have to show you Inland Empire, which is the David Lynch film where she's the star of it. So brilliant. Yeah. It's long and it's weird. I've got to watch that now, too. Okay. Yeah, I, I have to say, that's a movie I have no idea what the hell it's about. <laughs> I have, really like I have not come to a conclusion as to what the hell that movie's about. Like, well, both of these movies that I've watched so far, I'm just like, I'm kind of not 100% knowing what the plot is as I'm watching this. <laughs> yeah. plot. I mean, there was a plot, but it was, yeah. It's a matter of, like, being, like, it depends on, of course, where you come from and your, like, cinema likings, I guess. But, like, with Blue Velvet, I was watching it and being like, okay, I'm not sure if this is my, wait, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there, there's the point where it's, for a good chunk of it, it's it's more straightforward than, uh, yeah. than yeah. a lot of David Lynch's stuff. And then there's a point where it stops being straightforward. <laughs> 
I think it's, yeah. it's it's interesting because it's obviously not David Lynch's first film because he did The Elephant Man. He had done Eraserhead and stuff. But I almost consider it David Lynch's first David Lynch film. Yeah, I, I would I would say that because I mean like Elephant Man's pretty straightforward. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Dune, he was adapting somebody else's stuff. Mm -hmm. um, here, I mean, like I mean, you could see like a lot of the the stuff. I mean, other than Eraserhead, I mean. Um, yeah, well, that's this is yeah. this. Is, you could see the seeds being sown for Twin Peaks and in, in Blue Velvet. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, you could see a lot of I wouldn't say tricks, but like a lot of the the stuff that he would use later. Yeah, um, like his first opportunity to like get to embellish on these things to really go weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, it's like uh, I, I I've I hadn't seen it since I was maybe 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. um, and Brian had never seen it. And he was like pointing out, it's like the camera angles, the, the, yeah. the amount of headroom, like the, this, the Odd choice framing. of angles, like everything is. Yeah. Off. yeah. And it's intentional. Yeah. Well, that's what I kind of love. You know, I guess we'll, we'll start really deviling into blue velvet here, but I kind of love that it opens with like this idyllic mm -hmm. suburban America. You know, and, and these very, and I love that it's also primary colors too. Yeah. That's like a big thing where it's like the, the blue sky, the red roses, the yellow, whatever those flowers are. Do you know what those flowers are called? Yeah. I don't know. Whatever they were. And green grass and stuff. And it's very Americana. And then it kind of focuses on the, you know, the war going on in every suburban backyard between yeah. the insects and stuff. Yeah, the and bugs I love the that. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Also, that dog was living its best life. And like the scene where his dad like has the heart attack or whatever, and the dog is just like, I get to drink out of the hose. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a happy dog. Oh god damn, that was a happy friggin' dog. That oh, was the happiest dog. But Yeah, um Then we go into Kyle McLaughlin Boy Detective. You know. Yeah, yeah pretty much. And he's so, uh, and we were talking about, like, I guess, you know, because Brian saw these out of order, too. Yeah. Um, that it, it really contrasts with Wild at Heart, because it's like, and the way I put it to him, it's like, Wild at Heart is like crazy world. Like, the yeah. whole thing is crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blue Velvet is not, it's not a crazy world, and, and uh, Kyle McLaughlin is a fairly straight-laced character. Yeah. Uh, he, he's You're all right. cuts. He reminded me of characters that you see in like like MTV shows or like Netflix shows where it's like based on teenagers now. Yeah, well, he he kind of reminded me like if he was like a one man Hardy Boys. Yeah, definitely. I know I know David Lynch said that the whole point of it was that he was wow it's very bright. Um, Welcome to reality. Yeah, Charles took his sunglasses. Off. Yeah, I'm gonna put those back. No, don't. It blinds on. me while I look right. at you. But um, <laughs> but, um he he basically um, you know I know David Lynch said that he he wanted to basically kind of talk uh, sorry trying to touch on like an adventure like you know and a mystery. So it's kind of like you know you're you're this like teenage boy you kind of see. You know, there's the ear. By the way, and Chelsea and I were discussing this. Which is the first thing that I was really upset about. You can't just take a like a, a, an ear and hand it to police because you just screwed up the whole crime scene. Oh, yeah. I assume they would arrest you 
if you were just like yeah, you I found this body part area, like and their their reaction is more like eh, we get those all the time. Just <laughs> well, yeah, okay. that, this like this set up something for me where I was just like they should know better, and it put a bad taste in my mouth. But yes, continue. Okay, so as an aside, the movie was shot and takes place in, in our neck of the woods, and and well, Lumberton is about an hour and ten minutes away. It mm-hmm. exists. I didn't know it was a real place. That's so yeah, cool. it's a real place. And I assume my knowledge of Lumberton is that finding an ear on the ground probably wouldn't be <laughs> that out of the ordinary. Another. <laughs> no, seriously. Remember the news a few years ago? They were finding bodies everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're literally bringing up specific cases. That's hilarious. Wait, what? Yeah, tell us what. Can you talk about this? What is? This? Well, I mean, no, it was on the news here. I mean, like they they would find. Uh, Oh, we found another body in the dumpster. Okay. Lumberton had like a, a rash of, uh, well, there's murders. I don't know if it was a serial killer, but um, yeah. <laughs> so, Damn. so this, I don't think he was pulling from that exact place because I'm not sure what it was like in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Lumberton is, is 100% real. Um, a lot of those locations. At least the exteriors are 100% real between Lumberton and Wilmington. Um, the, the apartment building is, is downtown Wilmington, like right by the waterfront. Oh, wow. That's so cool. You know that, by the way, that they, they're not allowed to shoot any movies there anymore after Blue Velvet. Yeah. Because of the scene where Isabella Rosalind was walking down the street naked. There were apparently so many complaints from neighbors and stuff that they just banned um, shooting films there altogether. So hearing that there are like body parts still popping up is is really amusing. To yeah. Me. So like, and, and it cracks me up thinking about the year. It's like it, it really isn't that out of the ordinary. Mm. But they probably would have arrested him. He walks into a police station holding an ear, and they see he's got two of his own. They're like, yeah. It's a detective who like he is like he knows, but the detective is not necessarily like very well aware of him, and it's just like yeah. I know who you are. Here's this ear. I know who you are. <laughs> I pulled it from a crime scene. <laughs> and then also the fact that it was red ants, they can bite through paper bags. The fact that it wasn't like in his pants is just, so I was like, huh? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's where I came from. But I mean, it was... I just like the ear was moldy. I thought yeah. that was such a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> like the little green mold growing on the ear, I thought was really cool. But. Yeah, that's, I think that's the first sign that, like, you know, kind of the impetus for everything is, like, this is, it's weird. Yeah. Probably not as weird as it should be, but, I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say Blue Velvet is one of my favorite films, like, of all time. Um, But, you know, like I said, like, watching it this time, I, I certainly noticed that. Where I was like, wait a minute, you can't just walk into a station. And it was the first yeah. thing I noticed. And like, yeah, that, that, that was the thing I, I guess I had never noticed over the years and years I had been watching this movie. And then now watching it from like a critical perspective as like a writer and a, a you know, producers and, and director and, you know, watching and being like, wait a minute, you can't just walk into a police station with a piece of like bot- a body part and be like, I found this in another place. I'm like, wait, you just disturbed a you just disturbed the crime scene. But then dude. also, we're not even talking about the fact that the detective is just like he opens the paper bag and is like, "Yep, that's a human ear." <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I 
I was like, this is fucking brilliant. This is going to be so fun. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the fact that it leads into, like, this really earnest investigation that, like... Oh. Yeah. Like, he gets a lot further in this investigation than he probably should. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like, if we're playing by the rules here, like, he doesn't seem especially bright. Yeah, I realized at that point I had to let go of all expectations of yeah. like people playing by the rules that things are going to be absurd. That whether or not it was like from a filmmaker's perspective, budget, or like just the world that I was being presented, that I was going to have to let go of all of those ideas. It, it's yeah. it's yeah. definitely the world you're being presented. It's it's always with David Lynch. It's always slightly off. Like, but it was the more on, it was the it was more on as we already spoken about as opposed to Wild at Heart, like where I felt like this is something more so that could just have happened, but it was slightly off. Yeah, with Wild at Heart, at a certain point, you just have to realize this is like a dark fantasy world. Yeah, where it's, you it's, can it's just walk weird. into we can just walk into a band's performance and be like, "We're going to play an Elvis song," and they're just like, "All right, All right. you know, <laughs> um, you know." I, I don't think Bobby Peru could exist in uh, in the Blue Velvet world so much. Mm. No, because it's only slightly off from reality. Yeah. yeah. So I think I, I remember like reading the story from David Lynch that he said a big part of it that inspired him was when he was a little kid and he saw like this uh, mentally ill naked woman walking down the street mm-hmm. and how it really made him afraid and like like upset as a child and. Yeah, and, and how he wanted to kind of recapture that. Um, I will say Isabella Rossellini is amazing in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is so raw and so vulnerable. It took me a third of the way through the film. I knew she was in it to realize that was her. Which was cool. Yeah. 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 So when was the first time you guys saw this? I, I, I saw it in high school. Mm-hmm. And this this was Brian's first time ever seeing yeah. it. Last night. Last night. <laughs> So it, it it's one of those. It was a refresher uh, a bit for me, and uh, completely new yeah, experience. Completely new experience for me. So so for Chelsea, so for for Brian and Chelsea as first time viewers of the film, mm-hmm. um, what was your what would you say were your your impressions of it by the time it was done? Well, I feel like I got like spoiled because Wild at Heart is more up my alley, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because also it was more of like. Um, David Lynch getting to even grow as himself and coming into his own and uh, so I feel like I was spoiled because mm-hmm. I saw Wild at Heart first so I wasn't mm-hmm. able to I, just stick by I feel the same because like Wild at Heart was just like just like so great <laughs> as far yeah, as yeah it was so great it was so great but and I'm not I saying like this, I, is, this is bad because I like the movie it's just totally I guess the world we're presented, except for the depraved part of it, is normal in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I enjoyed it as a filmmaker. I enjoyed it because as a filmmaker, I'm sure that you will keep continuing to see how Charles and I grow while we make movies, and that's mm-hmm. where I was like, okay, I don't hate this movie, but there were times where I had to take breaks because I was spoiled because of Wild at Heart and Lost Highway, yeah. yeah. like yeah. Yeah, where I just was like. All right, I need a moment because it was so absurd, but somehow so normal. I could, I had to at the end realize that I needed the breaks in order to appreciate that. Um, 
the absurdity meets the normalcy and what? how to separate that from wild at heart. Which I think Which I, love. I, I think that's what yeah, makes I, Velvet um, I wouldn't say it's David Lynch light because it's definitely him. Yeah. But I think it's it's the most accessible, like full flavored uh, yeah. David Lynch anything because all the elements are there, but yeah. he, he's almost asking the audience, like, hey, this is almost like this world, but, you know. Yeah. And then later I, on, like, he had stuff where he's like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, like, I feel, I, yeah, like, I feel like once you get to, like, Wild at Heart and Lost Highway, it's it's David Lynch's world. Yeah. It's, you know, David Lynch. Yeah, this for was. For himself and for the audience. Yeah, like, this was, like, let's start with the normal suburban world that people can be familiar with and with a very relatable you know like i mean as as i don't personally relate to Colin mclaughlin's character but i know people like him you know Mm -hmm. like just this normal college you know kid who you know okay he found a mystery he's going to examine it and blah 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 um and then i feel like dennis hopper like frank booth like frank booth is a david lynch character yeah Yeah. kind of pops into a regular world yeah Yeah. what way it felt well i mean i always thought that like i mean the world is just kind of just to the left of like almost like 50s like tv and frank booth is this insane corrupting force Mm -hmm. like everything that's 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 off about the the entire world is like tied to him yes like he's this black hole Mm -hmm. yeah like to the point where, there are, like, you ever see a play where you think that one certain actor is just acting in a different world than the rest of the characters? Oh, um, yeah. That's how I felt about Booth. Um, yep. But it somehow worked because I learned to accept that everything was a little left of center. Yeah, yeah. His introduction yeah. in the movie was great. Oh well, I mean, they they, they build to him yeah. because they, they say his name, and, and you got like you you. you if you look at the video box or whatever, you know it's going to be Dennis Hopper, but it's like when he walks into that room and literally everything he does, you're like, I, I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. yeah. At any point, uh, it just keeps ramping up, and it's like and that's where the movie just really shifts gears. Like, I mean, he just he, he's this force that just kind of comes in and just like, oh, wow. No. Whenever he oh, started yeah. doing that whole mommy, uh, baby wants to fuck thing, I just burst out laughing. Baby wants to fuck. Like, I, I, I won't expecting that and it just cracked me up. <laughs> my my old band, we used to come on stage for the whole scene where he beats the shit out of Kyle McLaughlin with that whole don't be a good neighbor to her. I'll send yeah. you a love letter straight from my heart, fucker. Yeah. Like <laughs> I we used to come on stage to that. And it's funny because when I used to work for my father, um, one of the crew people um had said she had worked on Blue Velvet. And she had told me that one of that in that scene where you know, he's he's intimidating Tom McLaughlin and starts beating him up or whatever. That in at least when she shot it, she claims that they that then um Frank Booth rapes um Tom McLaughlin's character, hmm. which totally fits in with how he wakes up the next morning, honestly. Yeah. You know. So is it something we just didn't see? Yeah, like I I, I assume that's because this original cut of this was like three hours and forty five minutes or something mm-hmm. like that. I've seen 45 minutes of deleted scenes. 
But um, I'm sure that that wouldn't be something you can just express. Yeah. Um, Charles is also telling me that that was the first time that they met. Well, not that scene. When when he no, the very no, first the very first scene. yeah the very first introduction For, of them yeah yeah because when um I was I was watching uh, when I had this on DVD there was a whole uh, featurette and uh, Isabella Rossellini talked about how you know when she's on the ground and the blue velvet uh, robe she has on rides up she had underwear on at first and David Lynch was like you have to take that off because we can see it. And um, so she took it off and she said she was a little bit uncomfortable. And then Dennis Hopper just looks at her and it's like, ah, it's okay. I've seen a million of them. So that's when they first met. Yeah. And she said somehow that made her completely comfortable for the rest of that's, the shoot. That's beautiful. That's be I, But it's like, and you would, it's just, I don't know. There was something, of course, for several reasons that scene will stick out for me when I think about Blue Velvet for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because it was so weird so yeah. weird like so unnecessarily weird and i would have thought that if i hadn't seen his other films yeah yeah or like known that this is going to birth those other films but then knowing that these two actors just met for the first time shooting this scene yeah, yeah. is so cool it's so neat well the, the scene that will always stick out to me besides the whole don't be a good neighbor to her scene is the roy orbison song of In Dreams with Dean Stockwell because it's so out of nowhere. Dean yeah. Stockwell with makeup on, doing his little dance with the, the light bulb. Use, using the light as the microphone. Yeah. The light, like, yeah, the construction light is the microphone that was medical. It's a big yeah. sequence too. And, and, I love, really? and I love that Frank starts crying while watching that. Mm-hmm. And he starts crying, and then like the toxic, yeah, and then the fucking toxic masculinity, fucking where he's like angry, and he's like, you know, uh, even even when you know David Dean Stockwell is just like, you know, let's drink to your health. Oh fuck no, let's not drink to that. Let's let's drink to your fucking. Here's to your fuck. And he's like, (laughs) if you must, Frank. Here's to your fuck. That was one of my favorite things about this movie was the random like insults that I just say like fuck, like I just say oh you fuck and I'll say it in an endearing way and I didn't know that it came from that. Yeah. Very nice. Loved it. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I I like this is really like the formula to David Lynch. It is really like you know if you watch the Elephant Man, you're not getting David Lynch. That's that's what yeah. we're trying. No, it's, it's it's restraint. Yeah, yeah. Even Dune, you're not really getting Dave, David Lynch. Then. And what's crazy? Exactly. Those were like the two main movies of his I'd seen prior to this. Yeah, and I, I don't I, even and a raise her head. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't even feel that like David like David Lynch knew what he was doing with Dune. Mm. Like you watch that and it looks like he's just kind of it's kind of why we, you know if you hear about the fact that George Lucas offered him Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and he said no. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and 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 it kind of like is like you know I don't think he would have done a very good job with Return of the Jedi, you know, watching Dune because Dune Dune is not Dune is some really interesting things about it, but it's not yeah. a great movie. Well, I mean, it's one of those where it's like it's it's so far outside of his wheelhouse that it's yeah. like yeah, I mean, you can have great directors that aren't great at everything. Yeah. And I think that's one of those. And, and at the very least, well, he, he didn't recognize that with Doom, but at least he recognized with Return of the Jedi. It's like, nah, I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. Which, to be honest, yeah. I, I'm still entertained by Doom. 
like with mm-hmm. what it is and everything. Like I, I watch it. I mean, obviously the new one's way better, but oh yeah, yeah. But I still go back and watch the original. So yeah, yeah I mean, I still make jokes about put your hand in the box of pain and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. I literally yeah. realized today because I've seen the original Dune. I didn't know it was a Lynch thing because I saw the remake and I was just like, you know what? I had my qualms about the new one mm-hmm. and it was a great film, but I fell asleep and that is never a good sign for me because I don't sleep. Um, so then I wanted to like, I wanted to go and watch the original and yeah. I didn't realize until today it was one of his, but I didn't fall asleep during the original. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I just, uh, one thing that I also in my like Lynch, Lynchian research today that I was telling Charles about like over dinner was that like was that the man has if you go on his IMDb it's just Mm -hmm. so vast it is so insane the amount of things where like what I really want to see now of course are like the major things in his career up until this point but also he has these little short films where like one that stood out to me which was in like the last five years it's a short film called David Lynch cooking quinoa huh. and it's just him cooking quinoa and i'm like and there's several of those <laughs> and i really want to see those <laughs> well that's the thing like yeah like i was telling her about during covid he started just doing weather reports well he's been doing whatever he wants for a long time <laughs> yeah yeah um I-, I will recommend if you could find it i'm not even sure how it's available he uh he did a collaboration uh with uh, the musical artist sparkle horse uh, uh dark night of the soul was the uh the thing it was like a video project mm-hmm. uh it's it's interesting it's basically like shorts um and it used to be on dvd i'm not sure exactly if it is or not now because i know like even inland empire is you got to import that unless you got one of the the dvds that came out for rent yeah i have i actually have a dvd of inland of inland empire yeah, I, I was able to yeah. get mine when one of the video stores was, you know, of course, everything went out of business. It's like, oh, Inland Empire is still here. And it's like, grab that. Yeah, yeah. I, I bought Jackpot. It, I bought it from Kim's Video, which was like this underground um, uh, video store in St. Mark's Place that I'm so sad about because I used to go like once a week and I would just mm-hmm. look at like, what has the weirdest cover? I'm going to buy it. And I learned so many, you know, and I got so many like cool underground indie horror films or just weird stuff. And and you know my whole Takashi Miike collection like started from that uh, came from there. Yeah, from there. Um, it's now like Barcade is there now. Oh, I yeah. like Barcade, but now I'm yeah, sad. but it Boo, used to be Barcade. it used to be Kim's Video. Yeah, and it was um where I would just get all these really cool underground movies from in New York City. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, um, that's where I got Inland Empire, and uh, Inland in the I say that to this day I still don't know what Inland. In, I, you know, Lost Highway took me like five times to figure out what I think it's about. Inland Empire, I still have no idea what the movie's about. Uh, okay, so this is what I think Inland Empire is about, and it's it's really boring. I think David Lynch took a lot of ideas that he had for his, his video shorts, mm-hmm. and he was like, let's see if I could string these together. <laughs> I don't really think there's a plot. <laughs> great but i don't think there really is one it's it's uh it's him at his i mean if you think about mohall and drive i mean that was going to start and it actually was a tv pilot and it was going to yeah. be 
that, and he was just like, yeah, just turn it into something else. I think that's what happened with Inland Empire. It was going to be, it's it was a series of theme shorts, and he's like, yeah, it's cram them all. If I recall, if I recall, Inland um, uh, Mulholland Drive was a pilot, but it, it didn't get picked up. Yeah. So he just took like he took the pilot and then just added on to it. And it's really funny if you watch it, you can tell where he was like, "All right, fuck it. This is no longer a TV show. This is a movie," because it is very straightforward until it gets really weird. About like it becomes a David Lynch film about like maybe halfway through. Yeah, with like the little people and all that sort of stuff, and it's it's all things that obviously Brian and have to see. Yeah, I still have to show you Twin Peaks. I'm so excited for you to see. Twin I've Peaks. been in Twin Peaks. I need to watch that too. If, yeah, if if you like Blue Velvet and you like Wild at Heart, uh, you're gonna get that at least for the first season, and then the end of the second season, uh, you're gonna get that on full blast. You're gonna get the weird. I will say that like that's what I have. He's been a household name because of Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah, like uh, when like Charles was like, "Oh, David Lynch and all these movies," and it was like, "It's just the Twin Peaks guy." Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that's like the most most well known uh, of of his stuff is Twin Peaks, and it's probably it's his biggest work. Yeah. Also, something that like that I was mentioning to Charles over dinner was that it cost like six point two or six point five million to shoot Blue Velvet, and they only made eight point five. Mm-hmm. Back like the, in their like in the release, it was yeah. it was seriously torn apart by the critics. Yeah, um, I remember Roger Ebert's um, description. It's so funny too because Roger Ebert's description is what made me want to watch it. Because mm-hmm. Roger Ebert was talking about how like he felt like the actors were not even playing characters, like the actors were being humiliated in the movie and stuff. And which is when you really think about it, that's such a bullshit like yeah. fucking review. Yeah. Um, because how does he know? You know. Plus, also, Robert Ebert wrote Beyond the uh, Valley of the Dolls. So yes, you know, yes, yes. You know, so uh, about the black sperm of his uh, discontent. But um, that's the one line that always stuck out for me from uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls: is he sucked the the black sperm of my discontent? Um, Don't misquote Shakespeare like that. It's upsetting. I talked to Roger Ebert about that. I would love to. You have to dig him up, but he. he, he <laughs> I love him. Him. His jaw's all flappy and everything, so. <laughs> I'm glad they do this. No, but Blue Velvet, I want to talk about, like, so Isabella Rossellini, of course, like, it like it took a while for me to realize that it was her. I knew she was in it, but like with Willem Dafoe and Wild at Heart, I was waiting for her to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't realize that she, I mean, of course, this is 86, so before yeah. I was born. And so I just was like floored at her performance mm-hmm. and how much she gave to this character. And I thought that as much as I was like, I don't get it, but I, I could get it because of what she gave. Like you could tell she gave everything she had to this fucking movie. And I mean, I just, I can understand why Charles was telling me this is what people know her from. Yeah. It's such a raw and vulnerable performance. Like so many actresses would not be brave enough to do Dorothy Dorothy Valance. Yeah. Like Dorothy Valance is like a role that like defines an actress. Yeah. You know, and and I feel like so many would not be so many would would have gotten. I don't know who else would this was offered to, or if it was just because I know David Lynch and Isabella Rossellini became a relationship. I don't know if it was after this movie, right, or if it was before. Mm-hmm. But um, 
if it was after, then as I said, I don't know who else was offered the role. But I know that like this to me, this is what I will always think of Isabella Rossellini as, um, as Dorothy Valens, because there's just such a raw vulnerability to it. There's this, this just this like neediness and, mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of like a sad sexuality. And I, as like a woman who's like been through some shit with people and relationships in my past, never like what she goes through, but, but you feel for her, but you don't understand her, but you can understand why she is the way that she is because of her abusers. And therefore you just have to fight for her no matter how different she is as a woman as an artist, as a singer. And, and it's just, that's why I thought that she was so compelling. And I felt like you could also see Laura Dern just learn how to, by the end of the movie, I think that, I mean, I don't know, cause I don't know Laura Dern, but I could see her performance like graduating into what would become Wild at Heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was really, really cool to see. Like, well, she had more screen time. I was nervous that her character wasn't going to be given the, like, the screen time yeah. to get to grow into what it was. Yeah. Um, but when, when Isabella just runs in naked and she's like on the stoop of the house and everything is kind of just unveiled and Laura Dern has to just like, interpret these things yeah. for herself it was just it she became more than just a teenager she became an actress and i thought that it was it was a great performance yeah i don't know i was really impressed with i think everyone i just again i feel i have guilt because wild at heart came first yeah yeah um and I'm trying to let that go because it's a fantastic film. I still was like WTF all the time, which is, I feel like a good sign yeah. for a Lynch film. I think, and, and I mean, and you, and you can all disagree with me on this, but I think the difference is Kyle McLaughlin's character could have been played by any number of different actors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isabella Rossellini and Dennis Hopper could not have been played by anyone else. But Isabella Rossellini and Dennis Hopper. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I get to agree with that 100%. I don't have any qualms to that whatsoever. Yeah. Because yeah. they are the two iconic roles in this. The, you know, the victim and abuser. And I think that, like, Dennis Hopper just the, the unabashed, like, I mean, and let's be honest, Frank Booth, as much of an abuser as he is, also a super vulnerable role. Yeah, yeah you have to be like as an actor you have to come from such a place of vulnerability and to get yourself in that headspace of yeah. someone who can do that to another human being and so i just was like okay dennis i didn't know you had it in you yeah this I, I can't help but wonder what messed him up so bad to take him into that direction then you see like in his introduction you know him like reverting to a baby type state yeah. things. I'm like, what happened to him as a kid to bring him there? Yeah, like, exactly. And I think that's what I love about Frank Booth is Frank Booth is not just a badass. Frank Booth is this really vulnerable man who reacts to his vulnerability with violence. Yeah. And I think that that's something you really don't see in so many movies. Well, I mean, I think he's, Okay, there's there's a lot of reasons he's interesting as a villain as the character, 
um, he's he's just chaos. Like, I mean, he's he's unrestrained. Like, he really doesn't have a goal. There's nothing he's yeah. trying to accomplish. Um, he doesn't always even react to things in the way that you know is in any way predictable. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, not even in his best benefit either. Yeah, I mean, he he's he's this unrestrained evil. Uh, yeah. there, there's no conniving to him. He's just whatever is is kind of boiling up through the id. Yeah, there. It, it's, and it did take me a while. It took me a while. well, like I I saw that first scene and I realized that there had to be like between him and Isabella, where I realized that there had to be some like some seriously messed up things going on with this character that like as an actor took a lot for him to do. Mm-hmm. But I still just because we write things and we act in worlds where they are, there are these like thought out, like plot driven character arcs where I just seeing that off the bat, I wrongly was judgmental. And I, because I was like, it was, he shouldn't just be this loud, obnoxious thing. Like, I don't, I understand that he's been through some stuff, but what, and then you just keep seeing him and you understand that he is literally the epitome of like trauma yeah and just on it like never having through that trauma never having a gauge or like a parental anything in order to teach them how to not deal or act that way yeah and that's what made him so great yeah like frank booth is a character that you look at and you're like this is the guy who was fucked up as a kid yeah like, there's so much going on with Frank Booth. Like, because he could have just played that as, like, I'm, like, this hulking fucking... Which is what I thought yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. You know? And he plays, like I said, there's there's a vulnerability to Frank Booth. And, like, whenever he come, whenever he starts, like, becoming vulnerable, he reacts with violence. And you could tell that Dennis actually thought all of this all the way through. And that's yeah. what's so incredible. Yeah, his performance. Yeah, if I recall, that was the movie that actually kind of revitalized Dennis Hopper's career because he was kind of blacklisted in Hollywood at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So there are opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, like, I mean, I think it's, I, I personally, to me, it's an absolutely brilliant film. There's so many layers mm-hmm. to different things on there. And it's funny to me that the fact that the least, the thing that I think was the least Exciting about it is the protagonist. Yeah, and I think because, that's, that's, oh, yeah, no. you could have literally had any other actor play. You know, Jeffrey. I think was Comic character. There you yeah. go. He couldn't even. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. He, he's he's very anonymous. That that could have been. I don't know, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, I don't think it would have been any different. Which, yeah, I was thinking about people in my theater company right now, where I was like, they could do this role better. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. me coming from uh, like I saw. Hellman Showgirls long before this, so I'm thinking oh, no. of his character in oh, that. No. And you know, he's this oh, ultimate no. sleazeball in that movie. And then like I go back and watch this, I'm like, wow, this is interesting to put him as this like, you know, just innocent character. Which yeah. I mean, oh, he he kind of does the same thing, uh, slightly quirkier in Twin Peaks. He's the the straight man mm-hmm. to the the crazy world that is Twin Peaks. And I mean... And, I will now watch it. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, you'll enjoy it. Uh, there's some... It, it's a bit rough in the beginning of the second season because David Lynch had stepped away. Um, oh, he he wow. comes back... Well, he comes back at the end 
I still yeah. haven't seen the Showtime revival. Um, the Showtime revival is amazing because the Showtime it's really great. The Showtime revival basically is kind. You know how like a lot of shows, if they had been gone for twenty years, would have been like, well, we have to appeal to a new audience. No, they're like we have no. to appeal. They're like, no, fuck you. You yeah. have to watch everything we've done yeah, beforehand this, in order to understand. This it. is this is literally That's like what I've heard. Yeah, this is literally like if you haven't watched Firewalk with me, go fuck yourself. That's what I've heard. Probably yeah. from him. Probably from Charles. Yes. Or it's like it gets weird immediately. <laughs> with, uh, yeah, Brian was asking me, uh, like with Firewalk with me, is like, well, since it's a prequel to the show, should I watch that first? I'm like. No, 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 because no, it gives away the big mystery of season the same one. Thing. Yeah, yeah I mean. it gives away the mystery of season one. Brian, I get okay. you. We're on the same page. We're on the same page. But yeah, no, that has to become a thing. We have to watch season one. Okay, right. my really life. Fun. Yeah, we have to watch Twin Peaks. Well, now I'm determined to get Charles and I to work with David Lynch. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like just churning out content. Like, so I'm putting it out there into the ether. We're going to well, the universe. We're going to make it happen. Watch you end up working with them and it's going to be cooking. You know, something. That's fine. I would, you know what? It's That's David fine. Lynch. It's David Lynch. I would be happy if with it. It's important to Charles and now it's important to me. Yes. If it becomes like, you know, we are cooking quinoa with fucking David <laughs> No, he already did that. It's going to have to be like Brussels sprouts or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I will make a better brush of sprout than he will. All yeah. right, challenge. Yeah, putting it out there. Yeah, you're challenging you David Lynch, and, and something could be listening. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, it was it was a thing that I can appreciate. That I I feel like you know my like dog sitter was here too while I watched it, and she was just like, "Okay, what was that?" But also, I can you started over <laughs> because we have so many things to learn and that's where i'm at like i've just seen it once and i feel like seeing it well again i'll i'll learn things um i'll have a more in-depth opinion about it and i'll also like find things out where i'll be like oh well you know so the interesting thing about i've seen 45 minutes of, delete, of deleted scenes What's really interesting is that most of the deleted scenes are not stuff you think would be deleted. There's a whole arc about Kyle McLaughlin leaving college because of his dad's like heart attack. Hmm. Like it's a literally like 20 minutes of deleted scenes are focused on like him. Like, well, his, thank God that was deleted. Yeah. And his relationship and like college and stuff and like, Oh man, now I have to leave school because my dad is sick. I thought it was perfectly executed. The amount of like yeah. screen time that we had to learn that it was his father who had a heart attack. Yeah, why? yeah, and it how was, it got him involved. It was Sandy, Sandy. Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting because I thought like, oh, forty-five minutes of the scenes of Blue Velvet. It's all going to be Frank Booth stuff or whatever. There's one Frank Booth scene, and it's a fucked up Frank Booth scene where he's like fucking setting women's nipples on fire at a fucking pool table. But it's still like everything else is just like, oh look, it's Kyle McLaughlin and his life before he went to you know this when we went back home and stuff. And I'm like, wait, why is there so much focus on this? This is this is not what anyone watched the movie caring about. No. Well, I, I mean, I guess that's perfect. why it got deleted. <laughs> yeah, I think it was perfect. Like in like the iteration that it was like brought to the public. I mean. It just, it was what it was, and it showed us, like, a huge 
like insight into what David Lynch would become, especially coming at it not having seen it in other things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great film. Um, I I would like to go back and watch it again in order to learn more things. I I think I need to give it another watch too because like I don't feel like I was able to uh, fully process on one viewing. Like I think this is yeah. one I need to watch again. Yeah, I'm with you a hundred percent. But I also want to watch Wild at Heart all the time because yeah. I loved it so much. So that's I where I'm like, I want to get. <laughs> I want to get to that place with Blue Velvet where Wild at Heart was just like, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Do you want to know, with Blue Velvet, the one thing when I saw the deleted scenes I was really expecting was the climax. Mm -hmm. Because the movie just kind of, all the like kind of underworld characters that Frank introduces you you to kind of just get killed off screen with Mm -hmm. McLaughlin narrating it. And I assume that those would have been longer scenes and stuff, and maybe that would have been something that we like went this to. well-dressed man. Yeah, like where like I we watch with the subtitles on just just so you don't miss anything, right? And so I'm like, so it's this well-dressed man who's like coming in, but like also he's just not important. Yeah, but, and then it turns out it's Frank. Like it's you know. Yeah. Yeah. What this what one well-dressed man knows where your cute little butt is hiding. Which also leads to what my the person I worked with said that he raped Tom McLaughlin. You know, makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah, the act in the scene. I don't think Dennis Hopper actually raped. Yeah, him, yeah, yeah. But I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the Dennis Hopper state to file a suit against me for, for saying that. But the character of Frank Booth, you know. Yeah. You see, Frank Booth was like initially the thing that I was like this is what I never want a villain that I am going to write be and then I just very very quickly was so wrong Mm -hmm. and now I just wish that most villains were like Frank Booth like it whether it's in that certain vernacular of like PTSD or another so Mm -hmm. it kind of gave me insight as a writer as well on how to like base my villains and that sort of like gravitas and things yeah. that they have to go through where you don't see that as you don't see Frank Booth so much on screen yeah. anymore. No. Yeah, you really don't well, see that vulnerability. Well, and, and on top of that, it's like, I mean, we've been talking here about like, you know, we can have theories like what happened to this guy, what happened to this guy, but the movie never tells you. So, yeah. and I think that's, that's one of those things that like, you, you're never going to know. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to know. I mean, you want to know, forgive me, but yeah. you don't need to know. Where, like, I feel like now when things are made sequels, you get to know the backstory well, of everything. And it starts off with a cold open about their childhood. But I yeah. like Frank Booth is something that doesn't exist on cinema in cinema anymore. No. I mean, when uh, when Rob Zombie remade Halloween, um, you know, well, yeah. almost 15 years ago, oh, 15 years ago, geez. Uh, like, the first thing he did is he turned Michael Myers into like, you know, white trash family, abused yeah. as a kid, and it was like his mom was a stripper and like, yeah. okay. And and then and then the sequel where suddenly Michael Myers becomes Jason. Yeah. Yeah. And and his whole motivation is the ghost of his mother telling him to kill people. And I'm like, I think you picked the wrong I uh, think there's copyright issues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, 
I, I feel like uh, what makes it interesting for characters like that is the mystery. Like the mystery yeah. of it is what makes it interesting. If you over explain, it just takes the fun out of it. You know? Yeah, I don't want to know what why Frank Booth cries when he hears Candy Coated Clown. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I don't want to know that. I was so insulted by him saying that, but not knowing what it meant. And I don't want to know really like where it came from. I don't know want to know. I like I wanna know, but I'm glad that I don't know everything that led up to this. Yeah, part. like I think prequels certainly have a place. I mean, we're writing a you know, like Literally. I wrote a I wrote a Teresa and Allison prequel that we're we're gonna be doing starting next year. Mm-hmm. With um, you know, uh, which I will not be directing. I wonder. I'll who be could directing. Be. Yes. Oh, awesome! Oh, yeah, because yeah. I don't. I hate directing myself, and I think Chelsea is. Oh my god! I got exactly right. So that'll be yeah. It, I, I I trust her to be able to get the best performance out of me and all the other actors. So yeah. the three, and I would like a break from being the star. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So it'll be fun to have her behind the camera and me in front of the camera, like yeah. for once. But um. But, you know, um, I think that it's, like, really... I don't want to break from being the star, David Lynch. (laughs) Continue, yes. Yeah, but like I said, I I think that, like, you know, like I said, like, Frank Booth, Frank Booth and Isabella Rossellini, you know, Dorothy Valens are the two iconic characters of this film. Agreed. You know, I mean, Laura Dern, you know, like I said, Laura Dern and the comic Lachlan, you really could have had anybody else play those characters. Both of those actors learned from this role and you can tell that they expanded upon who they were in further roles but you could have had anybody else play those roles i mean you could have yeah yeah Mm. kyle mclaughlin's character looks like three dozen men in my theater company right now (laughs) so i understand but i also like i don't know who what else has he done he right. did a lot of David Lynch, and then just kind of disappeared for a long time. Yeah, okay. and, and, he did and, Showgirls. And bring it up again, Showgirls. Yeah, he did Showgirls, and that kind of wrecked his career. Should have catapulted his career. Showgirls wrecked so many careers. Before <laughs> poor Jesse from Saved by the Bell, and I absolutely yeah. love this movie, and I guess it's because it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Berkeley's career it ruined it. Ruined Tom McLaughlin's career. It even ruined um, Paul Esterhouse. Yeah, okay. Joe I don't Esterhouse. know any Sorry. of these people. Uh, I don't know yeah. any of these people, and that explains why I was like, I was born like yeah, just a couple years before the Saved by the Bell. Like, yeah, you have to have been a child or afterwards. Afterwards, you have yeah. to have been a child of the eighties to appreciate yeah. like the Esterhouse films because that was RoboCop. <laughs> that was total I've seen recall. RoboCop. Yeah, that was total recall. Oh, I've seen that. You're, you're and talking, uh, Verhoeven. Oh, Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah Paul, yeah, Paul, Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven. Yeah. Uh, Joe yeah, Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. yeah, Paul Verhoeven, and then he ruined it with Showgirls. Showgirls killed his career. And killed the careers, like I said, of Elizabeth Berkeley. At, was it Elizabeth Berkeley? I'm not even sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why my dog walker also was just like, Kyle like McLaughlin, who is this? And I was like, I know I've seen him somewhere else. <laughs> but I was going to wait until like talking with you two like, to figure out like where have I seen Kyle McLaughlin? But I haven't. Yeah. I was so glad I to haven't. see him show up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I was like, oh my God, Kyle McLaughlin has a Come job back. again. I, I haven't watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm- I'm actually kind of wanting to watch it just because of that. 
if you watch the first eight episodes, they're awful, and then it suddenly turns at like episode nine in the first season. So I'm just going to skip but, on that and go to that nine. But all season, all season two is Kyle MacLachlan is one of the main villains, and he's oh, great. Right. Yeah, yeah good. that's so good. Yeah, but it's the first role I had seen him in in literally like 15 years. Everyone can have a comeback. Yeah. But I, I do think it's funny, like, here you talk about how one of my favorite movies, Showgirls, destroyed all these careers. It did, though. It really was. And, uh, hold on, I was, I was actually I thought, in the Ryan, middle. can you send me, like, here. a link for Showgirls? Because, like, I feel like that's several different things. Like, can you DM me a link for that or something? I'll, because I, or... I, can, I can provide. Listen, Showgirls was the first mainstream NC-17 film. Oh, okay. It was supposed to like. So Charles is doing. Yeah, it was supposed to be like. Well, I wouldn't do that because that would be piracy. But I would, um, you know, show you. I was legally, asking for a description. Legally streaming services, you can find it on. But um, you can. But Showgirls was like supposed to be the first like mainstream NC seventeen film, Aww. and it was supposed to like bring people beyond the R rating, and then it was a giant flop, and it killed everyone's careers in it. And then studios kind of shied away from NC-17 from that point forward. And, and what's funny to me is it really isn't that far beyond R rating if you really look at it and break it down. Yeah. I mean, it's like it has nudity in it and quite a bit. But yeah. like, other than that, what what is there that's really beyond R? I'm like... I, I mean, Kamaglockin coming in his pants at a pool, but like... Yeah. Well, we do, we do similar things now and it's R. Yeah. Well, you know, well, well, no, we're unrated because that's the fun thing about that. See, that's the good thing about our 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 world now is that we don't really we're not really limited by the MPAA anymore, right? You know. But I remember growing up too. Speaking of NC seventeen, where I remember like being able to finally see a PG thirteen movie, and I was a little, I was, a, I was a little bitch. I'm like, I wouldn't, I wasn't a horror person until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. I was terrified of everything, but getting to see like signs when signs came out, I was terrified. Oh. I was in the fifth grade, so there you go. That just defines me as a child. But like going to see movies and being able to sneak into one of my best friend's mother was the manager of the local Regal Cinemas, so we got to sneak into rated R movies, and we were like, maybe one day there'll be an NC seventeen movie, and there never was. Yeah, because of Showgirl. Yeah, yeah. There was because we've heard about it, but we've never it never came to theaters. Yeah, it was something that we were like warned about, like NC seventeen. Yeah, no, I would, but I never saw it. Yeah, I will tell you, Showgirls got a wide release. Showgirls was actually yeah. in mainstream theaters all around the country, and what if Showgirls had been a hit, it would have opened up the world to NC seventeen. That's films. good to know for me because it defined an entire thing in my childhood. Yeah, <laughs> but because Showgirls was not, was a flop. It it kind of you know movie theaters were afraid to to host and excuse me NC seventeen films from that point forward. I mean there was, there was a lot of uh, pushback too. Uh, there were there were some of the the theater chains that just weren't going to show it just because they were just opting out of like yeah we're not going to bother with NC seventeen because it was a headache. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you were supposed to be like it's not even like an R rated movie where you know uh, you want to bring your kids yeah as long as they're with you that's fine. Yeah. So you're like yeah I don't feel like. Checking IDs on everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, like NC seventeen was strictly seventeen and over. You could not bring anyone under seventeen into it. 
Um, but I, that's the thing. I remember sh- I saw Showgirls at like my mainstream, like the mall, mm-hmm. like yeah. you know the mall theater, because that was what it was. It was that attempt, really. So you got to, an NC seventeen movie, you son of a bitch. One, yeah, it was Showgirls, and I said, I didn't, I didn't I've been chasing that high my whole life. Yes, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see it for the first time until I saw it edited for TV on one of these TV stations. And I watched it and loved it there. And I'm like, well, that, and like, I'm being entertained by the bad acting. So then I go back and like maybe a year or so later and watch the actual movie. And I'm like, I like this movie. It's bad, but I like it. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, Ginny Gershon is really amusing in it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I'm, I'm thinking more of like Elizabeth Berkeley. Like, her performance is very, very bad. Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. Do you think that's her fault or the director's fault? I don't think that's anybody's fault because I think that was intentional. I I, I think Paul Verhoeven like it's dark and ominous. Well, I mean, you watch, and I I I guess this turned into a showgirls discussion, but hey, Uh, we said what we had to say about Blue Velvet. Yeah, I think so. Well, uh, we'll go wherever we want. So (laughs) Verhoeven, like, I mean, you look at Starship Troopers. There's like like these really like wooden kind of like one-dimensional performances and I think that's intentional because these are very one-dimensional characters and yeah. people. Uh, so, so is it the writer's fault? Uh, maybe. That that was Joe Esterhaus and he was kind of up there in the 80s and early 90s with like Shane Black as be like being one of these like LA guys he brought in to doctor a script. I mean he, he's credited for like I think maybe 20 screenplays but he, he was a script doctor on like Probably dozens more. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going at it from like a like as a female filmmaker, like coming from the bottom, having to like fight your way up, thinking that someone was trying to purposely destroy her career with this. No, Am I wrong? No, no. I, I think um, kind of like uh, I don't know. I haven't yeah, seen it. I yeah. haven't seen it. That's why I just have to ask from like yeah. a point of like women empowerment. But uh, it's like you saying that it was done purposefully. I don't even know if I would call it anybody's fault at all. No, that's what I'm saying. There's no fault. It was intentional. I just don't think people, I guess, understood what Verhoeven was doing. He, he's always, there's been a bit of like, always like this arch feel to things that he does. Um, yeah. Robocop, you know, mm. <clears throat> it's kind of cloaked in, in like kind of the high concept of he's a cyborg cop. But I mean, the performances there are weird. Um, Definitely Starship Troopers. Basic Instinct has weird performances. Oh, yeah. Yes, I've seen that. So what's what's interesting about, I know Elizabeth Berkley, she was actually purposely trying to get out of um, the Saved by the Bell kind of, uh, you know, box she had been put into. Which I'd never seen, so I wanted her to break out of, but I knew who she was yeah. just because of my older cousins telling me about the show. Yeah, she had been really, like, she didn't want to just be known as, like, okay, she's, like, the hot high school girl. Right. Yeah. So she wanted to kind of do, like, what's the most outrageous thing I can do yeah. to change what people, uh, you know, look at me as. And so she did Showgirls, but that had a very negative effect on her career. Well, it apparently canceled everyone's career. Yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. in it was it, pretty it, much fucked by showgirls. Well, except for Verhoeven. Verhoeven did well. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he did. He did Starship Troopers after that, and then Hollow Man, and did then... Did he do it after? Hmm? Yeah, did Starship Troopers was 97, Hollow Man was 99 or 2000. 
that's amazing. Because I could have sworn that, like, you know, like, he used to be a mainstream name, and then even after Showgirls, like, it didn't really... He wasn't... Hey, he used to work. No one else worked. He did Black Book. You know, um, um, he did Black Book, but even that wasn't really... That like, was more of like a kind of one-off comeback for him. Yeah. Like the he, he worked, that's good. He kind of needed the comeback with like Black Book. But like, and I know he's done films since, but I, I don't think anyone's really cared very much. Well, I mean, they've all been overseas. So, I mean, yeah. he kind of went back home. Well, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, definitely with Starship Troopers, I mean, yeah, that has a strong fan base. I'll tell it you. Does. I'll tell it you. Does and I haven't seen it. I I did not see Starship Troopers till it was on film. I mean, mm-hmm. till it was on DVD. My dad kept telling me how awesome the movie was. Like my yeah. dad loved Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. and I remember I didn't want to see it because of the fucking song in the trailer. Oh yeah, it was yeah. that woohoo, and I was like, okay, I don't want to see any movie that represents oh. himself. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, you forgot? Yeah, about that. yeah I forgot. I totally forgot about it. It did have a dumb trailer, to be honest. The trailer, yeah, really bad. yeah. The trailer made me have no interest in seeing it whatsoever. And then my dad kept telling me, he's like, "No, you will love this movie." And I do. I love Starship Troopers. Yeah. is one of my favorite movies of all time. But it took me years to watch it, and my dad constantly telling me how good it was. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I did. It's that such trailer. a great satire about fascism, and like, yeah, it's 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 an amazing. And I love the so many little touches that they don't bring, they don't comment on, like mm-hmm. the fact that there's all these pretty white model looking people in Argentina. Yes, <laughs> I love that because it's like obviously they're descent, they're descendants of Nazis, but it's not spelled out at any point, and I love yeah. that so much. He like, doesn't love Nazis. I'll just no, say that. no, but it's like Casper Van Dien and like you know just all these super pretty '90s actors. I, I do remember watching that and being like, "This is in like what was it, Buenos Aires?" Or, Buenos Aires. Yeah, yeah, like, Buenos Aires. Yeah, and I'm like, where, where are all these white people coming from? <laughs> I've been to Buenos Aires. There's a lot of pretty white people. Oh, there is. They're descendants of Nazis. Well, we won't get into project paper <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff. This is, this See, I've never been anywhere, so I didn't even know there were white people there. I didn't know. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> this. No, it's mostly white people. Yeah, I was going like, to say. It's a lot of white people. Yeah. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, this is not the Alex Jones show, so I'm not going to go into my conspiracies about okay. Nazis no going to put us here. No, but, no. You know. <laughs> Our conspiracy is that Wild at Heart is better than Blue Velvet. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely enjoyed it more upon the first viewing, but I got a feeling that Blue Velvet is going to be one that I watch it more and it grows it's, on. It's going to grow on you. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I will say I like Wild at Heart definitely more than Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet is such a seminal film. Mm-hmm. It is such a, it, it's such a film. It, it's an, it's a film that definitely as a filmmaker and a writer, um, has mm-hmm. definitely an influence on me. Um, I think one of the things, as I said, with Frank Booth is the fact that you can get an antagonist who, as psychotic as Frank Booth is, the moments of vulnerability he shows really make his, it makes his psychotic episodes more understandable, mm-hmm. yeah. but you're not more sympathetic towards him because there's nothing sympathetic about Frank Booth, but you're still like, oh, there's something going on in this Yeah, but, and that, that yeah. has to do, like, also piggybacking off of that, that I already said, that if you are able to change my mind about, like, my initial opinion about a performance, 
or about a character, mm -hmm. especially an antagonist, which is what we specialize in. Yeah. Um, he changed my mind where I yeah. thought that he was that I was gonna hate this character. And I, I thought he was going to be a cliche or like how David Lynch would work on building towards his like vision of an antagonist. Yeah. But really Dennis Hopper just nailed it and changed my mind. And that doesn't happen. And it's really, it was cool and inspiring. And I want to bring that to the screen because nobody does it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which was also... No, sorry. All I was going to say, what, what's also interesting, and Chelsea and I discussed this, Isabella Vosling was actually dropped by her um, agency because of this film. Oh. She was at CAA, and they dropped her because of this film, because they felt that it was too controversial a role for them to be representing an actress who would do this sort of stuff. That's and kind of crazy. So she also paved the way for so many other people in this genre to, like, be bold, be vulnerable, no matter what the circumstances, and that's huge. Yeah, yeah. Because we will always, I think, like Blue Velvet will always be the first role that comes up when people think of Isabella Rossellini. It's fair. Yeah, it's so weird that they that you know this is the role that people yeah defines her career basically, and yeah. they're going to drop her from her agency. That's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's their fault. CAA, I mean, like, they're amazing. They define so many actors' careers, but they've also been, they've changed. Like, the industry has changed since then. It uh -huh. Just, she was, a, uh, Isabella was ahead of the curve. Yeah. 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 But thank you, guys. <laughs> this is yeah, super um, fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, uh, I was going to say a, a little bit earlier, whenever you were talking about nobody does that type of uh, villain anymore or whatever, I'm like, I feel like villains in general are just not being well um, fleshed out anymore in mainstream yeah. movies. Like, it's like you see archetypes rather than a well fleshed out character. Agreed. And then you like somehow like either towards the end of the film or in like the sequel or the prequel, you get a backstory on how they got to where they are, but you never see like a performance that just gives the character arc that you get in this film or like that you get in Willem Dafoe. It while in Wild at Heart, like you don't get that, or like I like Charles talking about like the Green Goblin just in the last Spider-Man yeah. movie. Like even if you had never seen him, you get that in that, and that's that's the most recent I feel iteration of like a an antagonist yeah. being full fleshed, and it's all it all comes from yeah. the writing and from the actor and the director, um, and that's why I feel like. It needs to keep happen. We need to bring that back. Yeah, I, it, I, I tend to think that this is kind of a writing issue with like you know modern scripts. Is that if you're if you have a script that has a villain or an antagonist, they they are a plot driver, and that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're they're a plot driver in a different costume. I mean, look at the Marvel movies. The villains really don't you know vary too much. I and mean, we're talking about Willem Dafoe and the Last Spider Man. It's like. And he's different. That's why he stands out. But usually, <clears throat> it's usually villain wants to do this thing, and we don't want him to do it. Yeah, and that's about it. Um. 
So you like, don't I was see. immediately thinking about Thanos, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, Thanos um, is given actual motivation. He's actually got um, character quirks. He's rare. Um, well, that's, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you'll get, like, you know, I don't even remember what um, Christopher Eccleston's stunt character in oh uh, Thor Dark World is. Like, because I don't know what his motivation was, but then you get, like, Killmonger. You get yeah. Thanos. You get, you know, yeah. um, Willem Dafoe as, as Norman Osborn. And I think that's why those characters stand out. Even in, in Loki, um, she. Do you see Loki? Yes. Okay, then you know that um, the character, He Who Remains, mm-hmm. um, at the end of Loki, I think that that's kind of uh, spoilers for Loki. But, um, you know, I think that's the thing is that that's why those characters stand out because they're given a motivation mm-hmm. that other characters are not. Yeah. yeah, because I think so many times it's so easy to just r- write a one-dimensional villain. And yeah. we keep so Charles, of course, in Bishop's Cove, right? He has me playing the nameless, and I am I am the antagonist in the coming off of twenty-first century Demon Hunter, where yeah. I'm the anti-protagonist. I mean, I'm the protagonist, but it comes about in an anti-hero, an type, anti-hero. Yeah archetype but like so in bishop cove i am literally a demon who takes people's souls inhabits them but it comes from a certain place where i as an actor you understand where they're coming from yeah to an extent through my performance and also what he's written and that's why it's bringing that back is very important and i'll say there's another there's an actor in the film who i can't i can't say who he is because he gives away the plot but one of the things I, I cast him because he played it different than everybody else. Yes. I don't know if you know who I'm yes, talking I about, do. but everybody else played it as like this badass character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I got, we got all these audition videos and everybody else was like this hard ass and blah, blah, blah. And he played it as this like vulnerable like, I'm character who's, who's sad to be doing all the fucked up things his character does. And I loved that so mm-hmm. much. So I think it's, it's writing and it's a combination of the actor actors their- not making a crazy choice. Yeah. Because sometimes an actor has to make a choice of like, you know, you have to, you have to basically kind of jump off the cliff. You have to be like, hey, this is not how everyone else would portray this. So let me just try it mm-hmm. and yeah. try to and give went, a different so performance. Like, that, yeah. like, like this, like Dennis is just like something that's defining. We're trying to bring it back and everyone should. Yeah, like I, I imagine a lot of a, a lot of actors, if you had given them Frank Booth, would not have done the crying, would not have done, you know, those Agreed. vulnerable moments that Frank Booth has. Agreed. And I think that's what, like, if you had just made Frank Booth a straight up psycho the whole time with no vulnerabilities, it would not have worked as a character. I we would, wouldn't. I wouldn't have brought him up. We wouldn't be talking about Frank Booth. What is it? Forty years now or something? Not quite. Thirty. Thirty-six. We might, we might not even be talking about Blue Velvet if it wasn't for yeah. that character. Exactly. And I I'd think- say, yeah, that with Charles, what he said, with, with Dennis Hopper and with Isabella Rossellini, I feel like they are the people who you talk about, unless you're talking about Laura Dern's first film. Yeah. Or if you're talking about David Lynch's first, like, David Lynch film. Yeah. That's yeah. A, you have those two actors. Exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, you guys wouldn't have brought it up as, like, the film to do because Wild at Heart didn't work. Yeah, because God, the God of technology, hates us clearly. (laughs) If if that was the weird world where uh, you know Blue Velvet wasn't the movie that is, uh, we probably would have 
than Lost Highway, I guess. But that's the thing. Would there even have been a Lost Highway? No, there no I, mean, I don't think. Yeah. If if Lynch hadn't had the freedom he did on this, and he hadn't gotten Rossellini and Dennis Hopper, I'd almost say I don't know if we would have ever gotten a real like David Lynch film ever again. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, this is his birth. This is the birth of yeah. the Lynch franchise, of the Lynch archetype, I guess. He can make his films an archetype at this point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you would have had movies directed by David Lynch, but I don't yeah. think if he, if he hadn't done Blue Bill, but he would have just been doing what he did with Elephant Man and Dune, mm-hmm. where he was just doing other people's stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't get to see the inherent weirdness that comes from David Lynch expressing himself. Yeah. What's interesting that I hate too, like while we end this, is that I brought up the fact that I'm covering David Lynch things and people know who David Lynch is. They can't name a single thing that he's done. And then I asked them to IMDb him and they haven't seen anything. They've heard of Twin Peaks, of course, but didn't necessarily know that that was him. And then I've inclined them to like go and watch things. And they're just like, oh, this is where this whole big, like fucked up things that don't necessarily make sense even to this day happen. They have to stem from him. So like Shakespeare, like Poe, like any, you name it up through the centuries, like that Lynch is now a thing Mm -hmm. that people will talk about forever where people who don't even know what he's done know his name. And that, I think, is the most important thing. So he's done it. He's done it. Mm. And I'm very proud. Because now <laughs> at least I know and I've seen things. And Wait. they've influenced me. Which the other thing I, I guess I would, I would recommend is, um, it's called The Art Life. Um, it's a documentary about David Lynch. Uh, I don't think it's streaming anywhere but uh it's it's a bit of an insight to his creative process but it's also like not it comes up on the top four things he's done on imdb yeah check it out it'll it's it's both slightly (laughs) frustrating but it's also it's it's very him yeah which is all we want can i can i i so i told this story on the um on the lost wild at heart um uh episode but the thing that always got me dennis hopper talked about how david lynch doesn't like to curse yeah yeah and i always love that the story david lynch, uh dennis hopper told about this so he's shooting a scene as frank booth and dennis hopper with his super midwestern accent would be like okay dennis so what i need you to do is uh you say that word and then yeah and and and, and dennis hopper would be like what word is that david and he's like, oh, uh, that word. And you point to the script. And be yeah. like, uh, no, no, David, I need to hear what, what that word is. And he would be like, um, the word right there on the page, on the page 63. And he'd be like, no, no, David, what word is that? And David Lynch would be like, fuck. <laughs> and, and like, I love the idea that David Lynch writes all these deranged things. Yeah. But is so uncomfortable saying a word like fuck. Yeah. In his every everyday life, yeah, yeah, it's amazing, yeah, and that's why <laughs> this whole world works. And this is why I think like people will be talking about him a very long time from now. Yeah, yeah. 
I hope he makes another feature, honestly. And yeah. I hope that we all work on it. Yeah, I, I totally want us to be part of it. But even if we're not, I hope he makes another feature because I know he's had he's had a lot of trouble finding funding. Yeah, which is sad. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it kind of got me excited because there was a rumor going into cans that there was a, a secret David Lynch project. And I was like, and then they shot that down. I was like, oh, that would have been awesome. Oh, man. That's like the lost fucking Leonardo with the Salvador Mundi. Like, it's the same thing where it's like, oh, you're the, no, this lost thing's going to be here and then it's just not there. Yeah. Hey, we, we got a new Cronenberg, though, so. That's there true. You know. That's true. Yeah, yeah that's great. That. I'm, I'm, was that Crimes Against the Future? Crime, crime crime against against the future? Yeah. Crimes of the Future. Yeah, I love Cronenberg and, like, I, I'm, I'm really glad to, see, I'm also glad to see him going back to body horror. And this yeah. whole like weird right. squishy. I was reading about how he forced himself onto uh, Jason X, and I thought that was amazing. <laughs> how they used his makeup artist, um, and you know, because they wanted like wet practical effects. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing, like a lot of you know practical effects are very dry, and his look wet and squishy and gross. Yeah, and so they really wanted that on Jason X, and he was kind of like, "Yeah, you can do that, but I have to be in the movie." Yeah, and that's so, exactly the shit I'd pull. Yeah, oh, well, shit we both pull. But you know how we we kind of like was you know there's that mad scientist at the beginning of Jason X, and I love that that he kind of just talked his way into a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Um, you know, and uh, I'll tell you, you know what? A lot of people, especially Rebecca, who is a friend of ours, but she hates Jason X. <laughs> um, I love Jason. You talking about Rebecca Reinhardt? Yes. Yeah. She hates Jason X so much. You guys so know much. Rebecca Reinhardt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, work, I work with her on uh, Backwoods Bubba. Oh, oh amazing! We yeah, love her yeah, she's in Bishop's Cove. Yeah, actually, that would be fun getting her on to talk about Jason X. Yeah, she's in Bishop's Cove, and she hates Jason X so much. And I, I love every now and then poking her about that whenever Jason X comes up, where I've just got to like, hey, look, Rebecca, we're talking about Jason X. I love that you guys knew exactly who we were fucking talking yes, about. Yes, yeah. I love Jason X. Jason X is so self-aware as to what it is, because at a certain point, you have to become self-aware with the Friday the 13th franchise. Well, yeah, there's things about Jason X I really like, but I don't love Jason X as a whole. Like, I love, like, the... Uh, the uh the kill in the uh with the nitrogen i love the sleeping bag thing yeah i mean there's there's parts i really enjoy but as a whole i don't like it yeah it that's fair that's kind of how i feel about blue velvet see i feel you know what movie you know what movie in the jason franchise i really don't like is jason goes to manhattan yeah i don't think anybody does anyone like that movie i mean I like I like the part where he actually gets to Manhattan and like kicks her right for four seconds. Yeah, it's literally it's a thirty second thing. Yeah, no, Jason no. spends thirty seconds in Manhattan, and of course I love the boxing on top of the roof. You know, all that. I like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you. I will tell you the um, and then we'll get off the Friday Thirteenth subject. But the <laughs> lost fucking um gem of well, it's not even lost, but it's no one talks about how good it is is New Blood, where it's like basically Jason versus Carrie. Yeah. And it's amazing. I love that movie so I'm, much. I'm, I'm always going to one. bat for that one. Like, I love that movie. Like, yeah. I have not seen it. Yeah. A lot of people don't like it, but I, I, I love Which, that one. To be fair, I think a lot of the, the appeal of the movie was left on the cutting room floor because that was the one that was probably the most butchered by the MPA. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Um, but that's but that's the thing is like you know I'll say that like you know Rebecca goes on about how much she hates Jason X, but I'm like Jason goes to hell exists. Yes, and like Jason thinks ever, it gets worse. If you what? ever want to see a Friday Thirteenth movie that I cannot defend, it's Jason goes to hell. Well, I can actually, I can actually defend Jason Goes to Hell, but not as a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Yeah, no, it movie, has I to be separate. It. But I love like like they just suddenly add, well, Jason can shift bodies. Well, then why the fuck hasn't he done that in any of the other films? Like <laughs> because because he didn't want to until I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like. You can't yeah. just establish shit like that in like what the what was that like the the ninth film Not in the franchise? Nice <laughs> I think it was the same people that it ended Freddy by giving him dream demons that yeah. he made a pack with. <laughs> so that that was all the rage in the early nineties. It's like let's just come up with a stupid backstory for these people. Yeah, you know what I love. You know what though, I I will actually defend Freddy's Dead because I love Freddy's Dead because Freddy's Dead is just such a weird fucking movie. Because Freddy's Dead will go so campy when it's like, you forgot the power gloves! Which is and then they'll do the whole story about Freddy's children being taken away from him. Yeah, This whole deep, weird backstory to Freddy Krueger. In the same movie where Freddy Krueger is like doing like Nintendo references. Yeah. And, the you know, and doing Wile E. Coyote stuff where he's like moving the, the spiked bed under the kid. <laughs> and you have this weird Roseanne and Tom Arnold cameo. Or Johnny Depp showing up. It's like, oh, this yeah. is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. And Freddie hits him in the face with a frying pan and is like, that looks like a frying pan and eggs to me. I don't know what you're on. Yeah. Which, which I didn't love it. I, love I feel it. like these are all, this is all a spoiler and I have to jump through it. Yeah. No, no, it, you're not. It, it tells you in the title. I don't right feel there. like I'm missing anything, but <laughs> no, I'd still no. like to see it myself. I mean, that's easiest, easily the goofiest of all the Freddy movies. Like, yes. but I found out years later that um, a lot of that tone and a lot of the the weirdness of that is Freddy's Dead's essentially a John Waters movie. <laughs> that's that's what, yeah. it, it's it's a lot of his crew um, that that worked with him constantly. Um, just not him. Mm. So, like, I, I think the assistant director had, you know, worked with Waters a lot. Uh, yeah. A lot of the, the DP also shot, I think, Crybaby. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Crybaby. And, and Bleep Hairspray. So, it, yeah. yeah, a lot of it was, like, John Waters' people making a Freddy movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I but also, I, I'll that be tracks. honest. I'll be honest with you. I also love Son of Chucky, so I'm into the. I like Son of Chucky. Yeah, too. I'm totally well, see, into see like John Waters' horror. We're going into yeah. so many crazy things. Right <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say real quick. Cedar Chucky has one thing that cracks me up, and it's whenever um, Jennifer Tilly is calling Redman Redman. Like I don't know <laughs> why, but that cracks me up. Like, <laughs> oh wait. Was that the one that John Waters shows up in? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. He he's like a paparazzi. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he's Brilliant. another he's another director that has a hard time finding funding. So. Yeah. We're welcome to help you, whoever needs funding. Yeah. I I I'm so I'm so happy. So I walked into a John Waters uh, reading, um, just randomly at a Barnes and Noble. Because it's it's the one good. You told me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the cool things about living in New York is that just randomly, like, I'll walk into like, 
you know, oh, look, John Waters is speaking today. I didn't even know about it. Or it'll be like Michelle Obama. It doesn't matter, like, any yeah. given day. Who else was... I walked into that. Oh, my yeah. God. Who else was... There was some other really cool indie person. I can't remember who it was, but, um, like, yeah, just at the local Barnes & Noble in Union Square. Like, you'll just walk in there, and it'll be, like, John Waters speaking, or, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's... Or George Carlin I walked into one mm-hmm. day, just oh, randomly. Yeah. I was, like, reading... I was buying a book and it's like, oh, George Carlin is speaking today. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll go listen to George Carlin. You know, but um, I I love, like, John Waters I love because John Waters has a lot of the same influences I do. So John Waters talks about how he tried to mix exploitation and art films. Mm-hmm. Because I have, you know, I'm, I'm into, like, a lot of, like, the trashiest films ever, but I'm also into, like, really deep. Yeah really you know like meaningful films and i love the idea of mixing those mm-hmm. to make like kind of my and i also love the idea that john waters does and we do with our the seal squared productions films where we like having an ensemble yeah we like yeah. having actors that we use in different roles and stuff but the 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 the, the key is to never use them in the same type of role yeah right. Like, you know, as Julie, as she was saying that, like, she played a demon in Bishop's Cove and then Julie in Demon Hunter is totally different. I'm the character. Demon Hunter. And what we're doing in Nowhere Fast is completely different from anything we've done. Either one of us. Is yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the whole goal is to always be completely different from what we've done before. Because I have no interest in just like, all right. And because just... everything we do exists in the same universe. Yeah. Like that you can't, like, have any character like intersect with anyone who they might have ran into through someone yeah yeah, yeah. but but yeah that's where that that's where that is. but yeah no john waters i and i love that we're able to branch off from david lynch into john waters here but um you know um john waters like i said i i absolutely love that john waters is able to to in fact by the way the first john waters film i saw was serial mom so i saw him like late in his career. So you saw what? So you saw everything in reverse. Yeah, no, I totally did. I saw everything in reverse. And then my cousin was like obsessed with Crybaby. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I I had to I actually hate I Crybaby. I saw Crybaby first. Yeah, I actually hate Crybaby only because I've seen it so many friggin' times at this point. I love Crybaby. Because my good. cousin would replay it nine hundred friggin' times a day. Yeah. But um, you know, I saw and then I yeah, I saw Crybaby and then I saw Hairspray and then I saw um eventually I saw like Pink Flamingos, I saw it last. But um, but you know, going back to like the seed of Chucky and stuff, like I love like that's the thing. When you do enough sequels, you have to become self-referential. Mm-hmm. Because you can't just, you know, unless you just decide, hey, let's have Michael Myers beat up get beaten up by Buster Rhymes. Mm-hmm. Or whatever, and that's that's bullshit. I'm sorry. My least favorite of all the Halloween movies. Least Can you tell the Buster Rhymes story? I have a Buster Rhymes story that I learned. I learned recently about Buster Rhymes. The Buster Rhymes so he lived in the East Village of Manhattan, and I recently met a manager of a pizza place in the East Village that survived COVID. It's been around since the seventies, and all of a sudden, like once they close at six a.m. Right? Because it's New York. And they at 5.30, one time, like, so this manager who I was at a bar with who randomly started talking to me, who actually recognized me from Demon Hunter. And that's how we, like, got. Mm-hmm. 
And then I was like, okay, I'll talk to this idiot. Um, but no, he was a wonderful human being. And he just was like, all right, so I grew up worshiping Buster Rhymes. And then um, I work at this pizza place. And then, um, so 5.30 a.m. happens once we close at 6. Buster Rhymes walks in. And we're like, oh, shit. We're exhausted. But it's Buster Rhymes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So they're so excited about it. And they're like, they get photos. They're so, they stay open an extra three hours just to accommodate him winding up eating three pizzas. Mm. And so great. And then it happened again the following week. And then it happened three days the week after. And then they were all like, we have to shut down before Buster Rhymes comes down, <laughs> comes down the street. <laughs> <laughs> where they just like they were like we're open till five now not six and i'm like that's amazing they're like you gotta it's like they had someone on watch to make sure bus arrives so they're coming down the street that's hilarious which i think is amazing but yeah no that's uh, I, I have to pee really bad i will i will say and before we i guess finish up my uh rap um story is i met LL cool j mm-hmm. when the dream because i'm old, i'm an old man and the dreamcast came out because i'm a big video game nerd and ll cool j was there at the launch of the dreamcast and i remember just because i was feeling like being a dick i pretended i did not know who LL cool j was except <laughs> that i knew him from and i i'm like oh my god you're the guy who likes military sized meals <laughs> and and then, uh, and then ask him what it was like to work with Robin Williams, and he was not amused. <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. But yeah, no, I have to pee very well, bad. Well, let's go ahead and sign off. All right. So thank you again for uh, coming up here and doing a second episode, which would be the first yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, I think it was fun. We got to ramble a bit. We got to talk about all sorts. Of, we got to talk about everything with Buster Rhymes <laughs> to John Waters. But, you know, I mean, Blue Velvet is something that everyone should watch. Yes. Yeah. Probably twice. Yes, five times. I'm probably going to watch it again because I I feel like I need to. But uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, watching another episode. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, just be sure to uh, check out our um, our Indiegogo campaign, igg.me slash att for at slash nowhere fast. Um, If you want to make a contribution to our next film, and then uh, Teresa and Allison is on DVD and Blu-ray right now. And um, coming in the fall, 21st, 21st Century, Century Demon, Demon Hunter. Hunter. You get to see Chelsea. Thank you, guys. This has been Thank a you. Thank you. Thank you for having us on again. I mean, mm-hmm. we had such a great time the first time. And, you know. Okay.